Good to have everybody at church. Everybody's well? Okay, not. Okay, great. Uh, good, because I'm preaching today. And so if you're not good, the word is, so hey, maybe you can walk out different. I mean, I'm excited to be in church here today. And we've been kind of in a conversation over the past couple of weeks about Christ-like and having a good conversation, talking through, you know, if there's no uh, respect for a higher authority, then there won't be any obedience, obedience inside of our life. And just starting from that premise of just appreciation that, man, there is a creator. And in that, that creator, he has a plan. And with that, we come to uh, respect and honor. We, we fear him, not in that he's going to harm us, but we, uh, we fear him and his authority. And with that, we drive our lives in alignment to his word. And then you know, the week after, last week, we talked about expectations. Everybody's got expectations. And uh, the same thing with our Heavenly Father. He's got expectations on our lives. And so, uh, you know, there's a standard in which we should live by. He's got a plan. And, man, if we could just fall in alignment and say, you know what? We're going to point our lives in the expectations of righteousness. Our destination is going to be good. So today we're going to jump into a conversation around that realm of divine destination. If you want to write that across the top of your paper, you can write that divine destination, divine destination. We're all on a journey and we're all heading in a direction, but there is a divine destination. God has a plan for all of his creation that the destination is eternity with him. Every single one of us, God's design is for our destination to be with him. And one of the greatest explanations I ever heard for uh, against and a rebuttal to a human world that wants to paint God in a negative light that says, how can a loving God send people to hell? You know, this is something that is said out there. And the best explanation is we, we see a God that you can read throughout Scripture that when man has made a decision to live away from God, our man lives in a decision to operate in unrighteousness, decisions out of alignment. The Bible is very clear. Sodom and Gomorrah, go back and look at it. God gives them over to the desires of their heart, and then they do very destructive things. You can look in Romans 1. When humans begin to think up uh, or are so infatuated with their own reasoning, God will give them over to the desires of their heart, and they themselves will fall into all kinds of traps of sin and do crazy things here on this earth. Go, you can go read it this next week. But what is God doing? In the abundance of our heart, God will give us over to the desire. So is the abundance of our heart him or the abundance of our heart him, uh, uh, ourselves? And in the best, best explanation to this is if a person lives their life every day waking up with a decision to live away from God, then God in his love gives them over to their desires and they will spend eternity away from him. What they chose on a daily basis will be what they receive for the rest of their entire life. They chose it, it was not God. And so we all have a destination. Everybody can agree on the destination. Directions may be a little bit different. Well, the direction is the same, righteousness. Now, the course may be different. I think that's probably the best way to say it. How many of you guys in here love directions? Anybody here love directions? Anybody struggle getting to destinations because you struggle with directions? Anybody in here? How frustrating is that as, a, as an individual? I'm not going to categorize it around gender, but uh, how frustrating is that, right? <laughs> uh, my, my wife, um, she, has, uh, she can give me a destination, and hey, uh, I, want, I want some food. We need some food inside of the house. Will you stop by the grocery store? And then she will proceed to give me 10 different directions on how to acquire all of this substance that will provide nourishment for our bodies. Now, when she starts going down a list of things to get, my reaction back to her now is, put it in a text. <laughs> Lord knows I don't need to waste my time trying to remember the 10 or 12 things that you told me to get from HEB when you fully know what's needed. And you can take your brain and put it into a text, and now I will be able to follow clear directions. But if you tell me destination that we need substance, then I may wind up with some different items, but I got the destination, substance, okay? Amen? Right? Just write it down. Don't waste my time. Write it down. I got destination. We got to get food, right? Anybody struggle with the destination game? 
Anybody struggle with direction? I struggle with directions. You know, that don't. I, she can tell me one thing in one minute. I'll forget it the next. <laughs> it's life. Directions. Ah, somewhat frustrating sometimes getting to the destination. Directions. You know, sometimes in life we can get so frustrated with directions that we just, we fall victim to, well, we're just going to do it our way, how we want to do it, whenever we want to do it. And it can, it can lead us to a tough spot inside of our lives where it's like, man, oh, I don't understand why these individuals have so many different directions with it. Just tell me the destination. I'm a destination guy. If my wife says, hey, we want to go to this place, you don't have to tell me directions. In my head, I know where we're going, and I'm already working out the route. I already understand, right? Now, here's another thing on directions. You can have the right destination, but mess up in the process of directions. Anybody know about that Sopapilla Cheesecake game? Anybody? Sopapilla Cheesecake game. You, oh, yeah, okay, man, we got one. Sopapilla Cheesecake. That sounds great in San Antonio. It's such a San Antonio dessert. Sopapilla? Are you kidding me? Cheesecake? Let's go. Now, a few years ago, Pastor Brian, we were hyping it up to Pastor Brian, and we were over at the house, and Heather goes to make the Sopapilla Cheesecake, the infamous. We've been talking about it. Now, if you have not had Sopapilla Cheesecake, you are missing the manna from heaven, okay? It just depends on where you're at on your diet game. It could be the devil in Jesus' name, no, not today. Or it could be the glory of the Lord that's trying to fall upon your life in which you are resisting, one or the other. But she went about the process uh, of creating this dessert to which Brian is so hyped up, Pastor Brian is so hyped up about, he gets the first serving, he sits down, and he scarfs it down. And by the time we are taking our first bites, Brian's going back for the second one. Now, we go to... Uh, we take our bite of ours, and instantaneously, I put it in my mouth, I was like, something ain't right with this. When you tasted the manna from heaven, you know what the manna on the second day tastes like, okay? You understand, the second day is spoiled, something ain't right. So we go to eat, and I'm like, okay, something ain't right here. Brian is happy as all day long. <laughs> He's literally like, I got the manna, the glory of the Lord has fallen, Amen. On this side, we're like, something is wrong. So we start to go look, like, what is wrong? Well... What we found out is that Heather, instead of using the butter croissants that you lay over the top of the cream cheese, she used garlic butter croissants. And the Lord knows it was not from heaven on that day. It was to Brian. You know when you're cooking, you could just mess it up just a little bit, and then it messes the whole thing up. My Nana was cooking like a month ago. We went down there to go fishing. She's like a big cook. But my, my cousins were here. If you remember my cousins, Matt and uh, Wendy are here. My, my cousin Wendy is gluten-free everything. She cooks a gluten-free flour and all this other stuff. Well, my Nana's trying to cook with this gluten-free flour, and she ain't having none of it. It's the first time ever I've heard in my life my Nana put something down. She had some hush puppies she put down with some shrimp. And she said, if you don't like it, then that's fine. You can go make yourself a sandwich. I was like, well, Nana's getting a little frustrated here. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand what the beef was. I didn't understand. And then I come to realize, I'm like, oh, she's mad because she's having to use this gluten-free <laughs> flour. It's awesome. You can have a destination, but the directions can jack you up, can tear you up. You can get jacked up on the journey of life, right? The destination is heaven. The directions is righteousness. The course may be different for everybody. The vehicle is the same. We've been talking about being Christ-like. We are holy, called to be set apart. Let our lives be honorable towards him. Do we keep on sinning with this? Do we tread upon God's grace? Or do we get this vessel in alignment with the righteousness of God? Do we rely upon Jesus Christ to meet the just standard of the law? We can't meet it of it ourselves. The vehicle is the same. We all got a responsibility for the vehicle. We all have a mandate of righteousness. The decision is ours, though, on how we chart the course. So number one, if you want to write this down, number one, each of us has our own journey to navigate. Isaiah 53, verse 5 through 6 says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray or have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. Isaiah speaking here, what? We all, like sheep, have strayed away. Every single one of us has strayed away. We've gotten off course. We know the destination. We've got off course. 
And it's the point of why Jesus has been beaten and broken for the just requirement of our sins. But our responsibility as individuals is our responsibility to live in righteousness. You know, there's a, there's a story that Jesus would speak of or a parable that he speaks about the different talents, the three different talents. And inside of the story, each to one, to three, to five, and there's a just, uh, the, the owner would come back and give a just um, decision on the, the responsibility that was taken inside of, you know, caring for these talents that were given. And ultimately, what does it come back to? It comes back to a place on what did you do with the talent that's been given to you? Forget about everybody else on this journey. What did you do with your talent? You know, I'm, I'm listening to a book right now, um, Can't Hurt Me, and I'm like, it's like 14 hours long because there's like commentaries in the middle. It should be six, but it's like 13 hours. I'm like, two hours left, praise God. But the book is about a man named David Goggins, which is a Marine, and uh, he's an individual that's like hard. I mean, the dude is like legit. Um, actually, he's, he's a Navy SEAL. That's what he is. He's a Navy SEAL. He's like legit. Like, he started from nothing, but you read through this book where this individual has developed a mentality to not make excuses for anything. He doesn't make excuses for anything. He came from a tough family where he's beat by his dad. Now, if you can handle the F word, go listen to it. If you can't handle it, don't go listen to it. The boy knows how to use the F word very creatively. <laughs> but he came from a tough environment. His dad was a corrupt man, owned a skate land, uh, like a skate park thing, and then had a bar up above it, you know, back in the day, skate land. Legit, right? Faith knows, Pastor Faith knows all about that music. What kind of music is it again? What is it called? Freestyle. Anybody else like freestyle music? Jesus saved their soul. What in the world is freestyle? But his dad was corrupt, had a skate land down below. They all had to work there. Then there was a bar upstairs, and O.J. Simpson would come in. And uh, I, think it was, I think it was in Cleveland or something like that is where the, their place was at. They would have um, uh, a couple other, like, musicians would come in. There was just shady stuff going on. And his dad would come home and beat their family and beat his mom and do very crazy things. Like, I mean, beat them to a smithereen. And so his start was was jacked up. It was tore up from the floor. But what you hear inside of this book is David Goggins is not making excuses for where he came from. He's saying, you know what? I'm deciding that my journey is my journey. And if I started from somewhere, I need to get better as I move forward. And essentially what Jesus is saying also in his parable of the talents is don't make excuses because you got one talent. Stop crying about your one talent. Start using your one talent, being responsible with your one talent. Start investing that, applying yourself and putting work in in order to turn it into two, that you can double what God has placed inside of your hands. Why? Because that's your responsibility. It's nobody else's responsibility. That's your responsibility. I mean, David Goggins is like, if you're stupid, start reading the book. That's literally how he, he literally puts it. He says if you're, he probably used the F word in there too. But he literally, that's what he's saying. If you can't, you can't swim, I couldn't swim, but I had to pass Navy SEALs. So I went and I, I got, you know, the, the book on how to swim for dummies one-on-one. -on -one, and I learned how to swim. I taught myself how to swim. I mean, he's, a, he's an insane person that is like literally, not insane, but he's like, you got to get hard. You got to callous your mind. You got to do better. Everybody's underachieving. Let's go. Invest yourself. And each one of us has gone our own way and we can live our lives making excuses for our decisions, or we can start saying, we're going to get better. We're going to keep on investing. We're going to keep on pushing. We're going to keep on moving forward. Each day, 1% better. Honoring God with life. One day better in righteousness. One better in being holy and living honorable towards God. One day in being better as a person. Amen. Now, this is the deal. On the journey of life, we're all navigating. Sometimes life can look like this. Our whole family back in the day, I think we were like, I was like eight or nine. Our whole family went to Colorado. I mean, Aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody went to Colorado. And we had an idea, or the family had an idea. I had no say in this, but they grew on whitewater rafting. I'm like, sweet, let's go whitewater rafting. Well, in Durango, Colorado, apparently there's a Category 5 river and that it's got these rapids that's Category 5, which I think it's the highest it goes, maybe Category 6. I don't know what I'm talking about. I live in San Antonio, okay? So, <laughs> so we're out there, and then literally we got a 5-foot, like, instructor that's on the back of this. Now, there's some situations in life you want to see the appearance of strength to give you confidence as you're about to face something chaotic. But this person was five foot, nothing, 
And back they're like, I'm going to be your guide today. I'm like, can we change this out? Can, can we select somebody else? Could y'all just line up instructors in a line and we'll pick who we want? So how it works whenever you go rafting is you get two people on the front that can row to navigate the front part of it. And then the person on the back has this long oar that's like, oh, trying to get it. So here we go. We're all on this boat. My dad's on the front left. My Uncle Ronnie's on the front right. Everybody's in the rapids. And it's like, here we go. It's about to be category five. And everybody's like, let's go. The first little bit of kink, my aunt bloop, falls in the water. And everybody's like, my God. You know, we're like freaking out for a second. Now, my thinking is she's lived a good life. Just be honest with you. <laughs> She's lived a good life. We have like 15 other people or 10 other people on this boat to save. Bless God. Thank you for Aunt Cindy. She has lived a great life. Because the reality is this. If these two front people start, stop rowing properly, we can hit the Category 5 rock that's creating the rapids, and everybody goes in the water, and now we're all harmed. So I'm there like, bless her in Jesus' name. God bless you. And Cindy, I love you. But we are preserving ourselves. Amen. <laughs> All of a sudden, she goes in. Boop. As we're blessing, she pops back out. And it's like, she is risen. Um, and we grab her and throw her inside of the boat or the raft. And it's all good. And then everybody's like, start rowing again. And we luckily get out. And this five-foot person's like, ah, you know, screaming out. It's crazy. It is literally crazy. But sometimes inside of life, what we know is it is chaotic. Life is chaotic. It is tumultuous. We live in a destructive, chaotic world where the enemy of this world is doing everything in his, his power to undermine you and I. The war is not against flesh and blood, though sometimes it feels like it because there are evil people working against us. But the war is against principalities of the unseen world. And, and sometimes we can get on this boat of life that is chaotic. And what Jesus said, you know, you're entering into a world that is corrupt. It's got trials. It's got issues. There's ups. There's downs. But take heart. I've overcome it. We can find ourselves where, man, we get into the first part of life. We feel like life is good. We're going to have this great time. And bloop, on the first thing, we're in the water. And so many people on the journey of life get caught in the water complaining that they're in the water, that they're wet, that they're in the rapids. Why is everybody else on the boat? Why am I inside of the water? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why, 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 why me? Living their life complaining rather than I have risen and reaching their hands back towards Jesus and getting back in the raft and getting on with life. We can live in a world making excuses for the chaos in which we will uh, face in this life. But Jesus gives us comfort when he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. You're going to face these things. You're going to struggle. There's going to be pain. But take heart. I've overcome the world. This is the same God that Jesus, you know, the same Jesus that would say, man, when, when life has you challenged and struggling and you're in the middle of pain, come to me, right? Run to the Father again and again and again. It never gets old, especially when you're a parent, you understand this. It never gets old when your kids come running to you. I mean, they could be 35 and it feels really good, right? Because you always desire the love of your children, those in which you've partnered with God to bring into this world, those in which you've invested a whole lot of money, those that you have given your life to. And when they come in appreciation running back towards you, you're like, oh, you want to take them in. Just like that prodigal son. You want to take them in. You start to understand this is Jesus. He loves us. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He loves us. Man. And he wants us to keep running towards him. It's our choice, though. You can find this in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. He says, you can enter the kingdom of God, or you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Man, I wish the gate was, like, super wide. I mean, I'm a little dumb sometimes. I'm like, uh, I just wish it was massive. But the reality is it's narrow. 
says, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the, for the many who, what's the key word there? For the many who choose it. Is that God choosing it? It's the many who choose it. It's us choosing it. It'd be our decision to go our own way, do our own thing. This gate to hell is wide, but verse number 14, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You know, the Marines have this statement that as we are the few, the proud, the Marines. I said it as if I was one. But according to this, man, I would like to put it this way. The few, the proud, the followers of Jesus Christ. Come on, every time you hear that commercial, it's like, we're the few, the proud, the Marines. Think about, you are the few, the proud, a follower of Jesus Christ. That road you can choose to hell is wide, but you're choosing a narrow gate. That comes with sacrifice. That comes with discipline. That comes with training. That comes with uh, faith, right? The righteous live by faith. The just live by faith. And by faith they shall live, right? This is us. We're the few, the proud, the followers of Jesus Christ on a narrow road that is taking us towards life. It is our responsibility, though, to live righteously on this journey. Everybody's got a vessel. So I'll give you a few things. It is a free choice for you to put a smile on your face every single day. That's your decision. Are you going to allow your life to be, your perspective to be discontent? Where now you're just looking at the world at you have less than everybody else. You don't have enough. Rather than your God has a cattle on a thousand hill, man, he'll bless you as you operate in generation. Your generosity, he's going to continue to bless you, shaking down, pressing together. That's the life I'm going to live. Or you're going to live like, I'm in lack. I never have enough. I don't understand. God doesn't love me. Why didn't I get that promotion? Living in the world, frustrated with the frown on your face. But as the kids are learning today, I stole this from Pastor Faith in here today. Thank you, Pastor Faith, this morning. But are you going to allow your attitude to affect your gratitude? These are your decisions, your choice. Nobody else's. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you started at in life. It doesn't matter. You could have nothing eating bean tacos like me whenever I was growing up. You could have nothing huddled around a space heater because you didn't have central air and heating. You could start from nothing and make yourself into something because you're not allowing yourself to be in the water complaining about being wet and I don't understand. Amen. But our God is good. He's raised us out of the ashes, man. He's lifted us up. He's empowered us and strengthened us to live righteously, right? And he will bless us. If we seek first the kingdom, we live righteously. God will add unto our lives. It's your choice. Do you wake up and keep a needy house? It's your choice. It's your choice to wake up and do your bed every single day. It's your choice to do the dishes. It's your choice to do your clothes. It's your th- choice to put things back where, they ca- where you got it from. We call it the lo- law of the rock around here. All, all the people that was in my youth group, they understand this. The law of the rock. For one event we were doing a student min- a student min- in our student ministry, they moved a rock from the front of the church to a different place to get it out of the way. Well, after the event, they did not put the rock back. So I got all the leaders together. And I said, here's the law of the rock. Who moved that rock? They said, we did. And I said, who do not put it back together? Put it back where you got it from. They said, we did. So here's the law of the rock. When you take something, always put it back where it came from. Lean Six Sigma, 5SI. We got Sean, who's a ninja right here in that world. If you're in that manufacturing world, I went through the training. The whole thing is about effectiveness and efficiency. If you have something right where you have it every single time, you know where it's at every single time. You're not worrying about that you stuck it over here, there, any other way. Same thing with your keys. You don't understand the principle through your keys. You walk through your house, you put your keys in the same pot, every, same spot every single time. Why? Because you're not wasting time running around your house trying to find the keys because you're disciplined in what you are doing. The same thing about the care over the vehicle in which God has given you. You wake up every single day to pray, read your word because you know you're filling up your soul. You know you're in the word. You know you're being, uh, being discipled by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Man, you're in relationship with others that are, you know, as we talked about week number one, rolling with the righteous. You're in this community. You're in this relationship. You're doing the care necessary in order to empower your soul. That's nobody else's responsibility except for yours. You know, I told this a lot of times, but Paris Hilton bought like a, a Bugatti car or whatever. It was a million-dollar car, but she never did maintenance on it. Six months later, the engine seized up on a million-dollar car. It doesn't matter the value of the car. It matters the care over the car. 
You can be worth a million dollars. You got the five talents on the inside of your life, but you're mismanaging your life at every turn. And you're misusing what God has placed inside of your hand. And therefore, you are less effective in what God has called you to do. You know, I'm reading a, a, another book right now um, called The, um, uh, the Quest. What am I, I can't even think, can't think. The Final Quest. The Final Countdown. That's what I kind of, I have to ask Amanda every single time. But Rick Joyner is talking about inside of this book where, and if you're in the prophetic world, he's had this prophetic encounter, go down this road, go read it. If you're new to Jesus, don't go read it, okay? So um, uh, read the book of Mark if you're new to faith. Stay there. Um, but he has this encounter where he, 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 he's interacting with, with, with God and God's bringing this revelation to him about this man that was on the streets that, um, that was... Um, he was passing out tracks. He was a homeless man, and he found himself in a place where, you know, Rick Joyner would see him in, in his real life, and he was like, this guy that was on the streets had a cat that came into his, his area, and he went to kick it, but he restrained himself from kicking the cat. And everybody in here is like, oh, my God, he almost kicked the cat. I think we would all say that, like, what in the world, you know, what's wrong with that person? But then there would be another person that Rick Joyner knew that was doing incredible ministry and these incredible things and leading people to Christ and all of this, and God said, you know, Jesus laid it out before him and said, who do you think is greater in my eyes? And Rick Joyner would say, well, clearly the pastor that's leading all these people. And he says, no, this pastor grew up in a Christian home. He was provided an immense opportunity to know who I am and carry my love. But this other homeless person grew up where he was abused up until the age of eight, locked into a, an addict until he's eight years old. He knows very little of my love, but he's lived his life where he got saved on the streets. And now with his little job, he prints out tracts of the gospel and he passes them out all over the streets. And in his restraint, he went in his frustration and the chaos of his life. He went to kick that cat, but in his restraint, in his honor towards me, he didn't do it. So this man has a greater level of me on the inside of him than even this man. He's living, even the, the Christian pastor that's not living up to his full potential. You know, sometimes we can live our lives feeling like the, the almighty judge is looking at our works. <laughs> Look how good I am. And we think he's overlooking the start. I think it's better when you start from the bottom because you can make the statement that's popular. I started from the bottom, now here. That's a good one. But the other thing of that is you have a deep appreciation for the journey from starting from the bottom because there are people that have had a billion dollars their whole life that do not understand what it means to live with nothing. Think about the experience and the richness of God that he's walked you along the journey. At every turn, he's been faithful. Man, think about, I mean, I just see my journey being molested at the age of eight years old. I see God's hand over my life where I saw the chaos and then I saw the goodness of God. And I saw God bring me out of that chaos. And I saw God bring me along on this journey and moving me through the process of sanctification and pulling out the chaos and pulling me back into alignment, not allowing me to, to live in like frustration of what's happened to me, but live in the full grace of what God has done for me. And coming to this place to say it's not about who, what has happened to me, man. God, I want to be used by God to bless others and encourage others that has felt like me when I was in my trench, man. But man, God has me here to preach his name, preach the gospel that people might know Jesus as I have known it and not make excuses for where they came from. Everybody has a journey, but it is our responsibility. We can get better. We can read more. We can work harder. We can serve more. It is our responsibility. Everybody has a responsibility to navigate and make those choices. Number two, life is full of hazards to avoid. So we're all on a journey. We're all on a path. The destination's the same. The journey may look different, as we say. There's many ways to Jesus, one way to God. We got righteousness, a vehicle that we're using. You know, there's a, has anybody ever been uh, skiing in Winter Park? You ever been to Winter Park before? Winter Park, Colorado. Anybody ever been to Winter Park, Colorado? The Lord is good, amen. Now, this is the deal about Winter Park, Colorado. When you go in the winter, you can start off in Denver, and it could be 70 degrees sunny. Beautiful. And you just have to go into the Rocky Mountains, so you get out of Denver, and you start climbing up into the Rocky Mountains. And you quickly realize that all of a sudden these hazard signs are hitting. And it's like, okay, there could be a wildlife crossing. Mountain goats could be coming across, or a moose could come across, or an elk could come across. And, and then rocks falling. 
You're like, wait a minute, this is getting more treacherous as we move along. And then you get like, all of a sudden a blizzard could hit. You got storms coming down and like, uh, it's just madness. You can't see but 10 feet in front of you. And then you got all these, it's a main pass to get over the Rockies, I guess, to get into like Utah or something like that. So you got all these 18 wheelers are on the road and it gets like really sketchy, like super sketch. And so you get cars that are going into the, the embankments, it's just getting wild. And then, then you turn off in Idaho Springs to go to Winter Park, which now is starting to climb up the Continental uh, Divide. Now, let's take you back to geography, okay? Continental Divide is what? On the west side, all the water moves towards the Pacific. Okay, I'm taking you back. Lest you become like a child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm taking you back to geography, okay? On the east side, the water flows towards the Atlantic, right? This continental divide. So it's the highest point. It's the ridge that separates the continent. <laughs> continental divide. And so you're climbing up this pass and you got thousand foot drop-offs on your left and right. You could be traveling with an inch thick of ice there. It's like hazardous everywhere you go. You can't get away from hazard. The journey is tumultuous. It's crazy. It's chaotic. So there's all of these places in which you can fall victim to uh, in your directions, trying to get to a destination. And the same thing is true about our lives. There are so many different things that are hazards that we got to be careful to not get caught up in. I'm going to give you two today. That's it. It's all you get. Two. So this is, uh, this is a fine dining today, okay? We're not at a buffet. Don't get mad. Okay? Fine dining. The first one I'm going to leave you with is this key area inside of your life is fundamental to your faith because as you are navigating your own life, making your own choices, it's very easy to get caught in a hazard of what's called judgment. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you be treated as uh, you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Man, this, you better be living like judge-free, judgment-free. You're like, cool, I ain't judging nobody. Why? Because I want low expectations on me. I know my life is jacked up. The lower your expectations on others, the lower the standard is on you. So that makes sense. Lower it down, right? Verse number three says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me get, uh, get rid of the speck in your eye when you, can see, uh, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. What is the reality? We are all loggers in here. You may not live in a forest, you may not work for a logging company, but you are a logger. It is clear when we are on our journey of life, it is so easy to start picking out all the specks in everybody else's eye because we ourselves do not feel like we are enough. It is very easy, especially in social media world, right, to look online and be like, oh, she just like this. She just thinks she's better than everybody else wearing that, you know, all that stuff. It's very easy in a world when you are career-driven, type A, and then you see everybody else's opportunity, you're like, oh, she got that because she did. He got that because, you know, he was like doing this shady thing over here. It's very easy to start to undermine other people and start to pull out specks in other people's eyes. Oh, look at this person. Oh, they're clearly unrighteous. Oh, look at this person. It's very easy to get caught up in this game. It happens all the time. And what do I call this? It's a hazard. Because God has called us to focus on our lane, right? Be disciplined in our journey, right? Work hard, move forward, and then all of a sudden we got our eyes everywhere else. Now, one of the things I'm teaching my daughters is staying focused. Staying focused, staying disciplined. Ellis knows, our friend, we have a friend that got a Tesla and he got sports mode and he was running a track out on Sierra Vista. You can look up the road, it's right about like Bernie Stage Road and I-10, uh, right around in there. Right next to the HEB, if you know what I'm talking about, that road starts winding in there. So he was running it on a track, timing himself. Well, he got to the end of this track and he took a turn a little too wide and he took that, that Tesla into the trees and cost him $30,000 worth of damage. Good thing he had full coverage, so he had a $500 deductible, praise God. 
But I told my daughter Ellis that story, and she was fascinated that Brad was not focused, and he wrecked his car into trees. And next time we saw Brad, my daughter runs up and said, Brad, you weren't focused. You crashed your car in trees. <laughs> it's fundamental. But what am I over here as dad, as I am shepherding my daughter, I'm teaching responsibility. Right? As Henry Cloud says in his book, Boundary for Kids, he says, if you spend your life, um, if you spend your life carrying the responsibility of your children, you will spend the rest of your life offsetting it for them. So your responsibility as a parent is to push responsibility down to your kids, not remove responsibility away. So what is the, the simple thing today is Ellis has peed her pants at night. So when she wakes up in the morning, if she's peed that diaper, it's take that diaper off. You go put it in the pail, not me. You go put it in that genie. It's not my responsibility. I didn't pee the diaper. So I already, she already knows now when I say, that's your responsibility. She's like, cool, that's my responsibility. She may not like it because right now I'm trying to work the bed game. Like, we got to do your bed. That's your responsibility. You made a mess in the bed. I'll help you, but we're going to get there. What am I teaching? It's responsibility. I want her to be responsible for her decisions. So back to my story. If she finds herself where she's off inside of her life right now and she's not focused and she's crashing in trees, I'll say, hey, you're crashing in trees right now. And she immediately knows, got to get in alignment. Cool. My responsibility, I got to get in alignment. She was just having a problem with her trying to be like her dad in school and just talking to everybody else and not doing the work. What I say? You're crashing in trees. Better be focused. What happens? She's focused now. Praise God. We got to stay focused on this journey. There's hazards all around us, and judgment is a key. We are all loggers. What logs do we need to start taking out of our eyes? I got a friend of mine that just caught a hook inside of his, his hand, and it was halfway in there. What did he have to do? It was much easier just to leave that thing in there, but he'd probably die from tetanus or whatever issue, tetanus or something like that. He had to shove the hook all the way back through, break it back through. Looks like it, like that. Cut it and then pull it out. This stuff with logs in our eyes is much, you know, it's much easier just to leave them in because they're already in. But man, the process of getting those things out, you know, Jesus is like, get these logs out of your eyes. Stop looking at the world. It's corrupting your perspective of the world. It is undermining your perspective to love the world. Once you start looking at all everybody else's flaws, man, you're finding yourself in a place where you will not see as God sees. You will not live the heart of God. In this world. The second thing I'll leave you with is Matthew 23, verse 1 through 4, and verse number 13. Jesus came to a corrupt world with very righteous people that did not live as Christ had designed them to. They knew what the law was, but they were corrupt. And in their self righteousness, they got off course, headed towards the destination. And so Jesus had to come step down into earth to say, Yo, you guys are off course. You're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you are filthy on the inside. Your heart is far from me. So he's saying, verse number one, then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. They are the preachers and the teachers of the law of Moses, God's expectation. Verse number three, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their examples for they, are, they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow, skip me down to verse number 13. What sorrow awaits you, teacher of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go, uh, go in yourself and you don't let others in, enter either. The main thing he is saying to them, and he hit them up multiple different times, is you are self-righteous. You are seeing yourself as something that you are not. The New Testament talks about be honest with yourself. Evaluate yourself properly. Don't think too highly of yourself. This is the product of uh, God blesses those who are humble. God, Jesus came for those that know that they are uh, sinners, not those that think themselves righteous. These are all the things that say, get off your high, high horse, right? We got to get off our high horse. There's so many different hazards all around, falling rocks, inch, inch uh, thick ice on the roads, blizzards, all the chaos. We got judgment that could cause a log to be in our eyes. We have self-righteousness that now we can start pushing down on everybody else. Here's the deal, whenever you're self, and this is for a majority of people that you've known Jesus for a long period of time. 
if you've known him for a long period of time, it's time to pull back and say, man, how am I a sinner? What issues do I have in my life? Why am I living my life looking out, judging everybody else and their inability to live up to the expectation, but I myself am not? Self-righteousness is, man, I have the shame that I can't live up to that standard, but man, I have this conviction that if I can push everybody else down and make me feel better about what I can't do. That's self-righteousness. I'm trying to push other people down by pushing myself up. Oh, look at me. I will look good on the outside, but my heart is far from God. It happens all the time in churches. You get a whole bunch of people in one space, and man, they look great on the outside, but their lives are chaotic. Their homes are run like madness. I'm talking about abuse, alcoholism, sexual immorality. Uh, it, it's chaotic. And then we wonder why a church isn't growing. Man, may we always be a church that understands in our humility to understand we are sinners. But it's through Christ Jesus that we meet that just requirement. Through him we can live in righteousness. That man, he is our high priest and we come to him that we can walk boldly into the throne room. Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people was not willing would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. The key thing I want to put on, book in on the back end of two hazards is one way to keep you out of the trees and or the median or whatever is to keep your eyes focused on how you can love others. A key barometer on your ability to walk in righteousness is your ability to love other people that do not like you. If you cannot love those that do not like you, you're falling short of what Jesus has called us to do. If your love is dependent upon other people loving you and it's just reciprocal, it's never intentional sacrifice, you're missing the mark of what Jesus has done for us. Yet while we were sinners, he did something for us. Yet while people don't like you, go do something for them. It's a great barometer to understand where you are at in your walk of faith. It's a great barometer. So here's the longest point I'll ever give you. I'm going to close with this. I want it to be really long and it felt good. There's a lot of C's in it too, so go with me. Accept divine correction so not to get caught in the chaos of a corrupt and careless world hell-bent on undermining your course to destroy your calling. Accept divine correction so not to get caught in the chaos of a corrupt and carefree world hell-bent on undermining your course to destroy your calling. Longest point I've ever had, but man, I just kept on getting longer as I said. I'm just going to write a paragraph here. Bunch of C's in there. If we are not careful, we will lose sight that, man, a loving God is here to correct us. That the process of living in righteousness comes with the Holy Spirit's conviction that we got to continue to get better. As we say around here, and we, we're, we're going to start saying a lot now inside of our church, if you want to serve in the church, man, you're going to get offended. It's really messy, but it's freaking awesome. Right? If you want to serve Jesus, man, it is like challenging because you're corrected by the Holy Spirit to keep on getting better. Keep on getting the sin out of your life. Keep on removing yourself from the darkness, running to the hands of the Father that you can be who he's called you to be and not who your destructive sinful nature is, you know, uh, deciding that you will be and you're just continually living and walking by faith and just uh, pulling logs out of your eyes and not complaining about the water you got thrown into. Ah! If you want to follow Jesus, man, it is challenging. It is strong. But man, it is freaking awesome. When you get to see the blessing of God inside of your life and his hand on you, the miraculous showing up all around you, you're like, dude, this is legit. When you get to start seeing people that are far from God come to know him and they start coming to you saying, man, thank you for what you said. Thank you for the prayer that you prayed. Man, thank you for the life in which you live. I'm forever changed. You're like, Jesus, you are legit. You've taken me from the pit. Now I'm up in Potiphar's house or I'm up in, the, in, the, in Pharaoh's house and I'm rocking and rolling. Praise God. You've taken me from nothing, started from the bottom. Now I am here. Praise God. But man, let the world see my good, my good works and glorify not me, 
my heavenly father, because I'm humble. I know what's up. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily traps us up, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? We do this by keeping our eyes on who? Okay, I understand that I am 45 minutes in right now. I get it. It's the last scripture I'm reading, and then I'm going to pray. How do you keep on living a life that honors God? You keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the champion uh, who initiates and perfects our faith. He's the initiator. He is the perfecter. Because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame before the joy waiting you, heaven, you can endure this life. Disregarding his shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. When you see all that God has gone, or what Jesus went through, you yourself will not give up. You're like, oh, I got it easy. After all, you have not uh, yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord's discipline, or for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his own, as as his child. As you endure this divine discipline... As you endure this divine discipline, FYI, as you endure this divine discipline, there's divine discipline. Amen. There's divine discipline. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever of a child, uh, who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? I have, and those kids are crazy. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. It's like, bring on the discipline. Bring it on, Jesus. I don't like it, but I'll take it like a Christian. Carrying it on. Not a lot of fussing. It's a country song for those that don't know. Verse 9, since we respected our earthly fathers, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us a few years, doing the best they knew how. Amen. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his what? Holiness. What is this being set apart? We're different than the people around us. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. He has set us apart for a purpose, the destination. We're heaven bound. We got a vehicle that should be holy, set apart on the course with the directions in which he's given us in righteousness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Amen. It's painful. Amen. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So let me encourage you with this last part, and then I'll pray. If you are in here today, and you are like, I don't want to be disciplined anymore. I feel like I'm on the journey of discipline. I feel like every day I wake up, I'm getting a pat on the backside from God, saying, you got to get yourself better. You got to get right. There's a log. Uh, you find yourself in that realm, let me just encourage you today with verse number 12 and 13. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Get accustomed to the process of being corrected. 
It's a part of the journey. If you're a Christian and you're honoring God with your life, like, God, you can knock me upside the head all you want. I'm a knucklehead. Get used to that. There is a chaotic and carefree world out there. What do I mean? It's controlled by human ideas and the responsibility. Carefree is a lack of responsibility. They are not carrying the responsibility of God. They're carrying the belief of a human mind. They're not working on behalf of the creator of the universe that has sent his son Jesus to die that is trying to rectify all of humanity unto himself. They're working on behalf of themselves. So get used to the correction process so that you, can, you won't fall victim to a chaotic and carefree world that is hell-bent on getting you uh, caught up in the chaos and getting you off of your calling. So careful. Get used to the correction. Start to embrace it. Be like, thank you, Jesus. I needed to hear that. Next time you get corrected, be like, Pastor, I don't know why you're saying that. Maybe God wants to say something to you. Next time somebody comes to you and is like, man, I just really feel like this area of your life, man, is gonna, it's getting you off course. You're getting into chaos. Well, who are you talking to? Right? Who are you talking to? Why are you coming at me like that? Well, maybe God wants to speak something to you. And if you're walking in humility, you're like, thank you so much that you love me that much. And thank you that you love me and you care for me, that you're willing to, di- not discipline me, or encourage me. Discipline is from the Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, that you love me so much that you don't want me to walk into sin. You don't want me to walk into the chaos. You don't want me to live that life. Thank God for that. God, we come to you today, Lord, and Father, we know our destination, where it's at, and Father, we're all working hard to get there, Lord, so I pray that you just empower us on this journey. That, Lord, as you lead us with your spirit, that we don't, just, we don't get caught in the hazards along the way. God, we understand that there's going to be moments that we're in the water, but we just need to pop back up and reach out for you and get back in the raft, God. That, Father, there's moments along this journey where, man, there's things that are unexpected that jump on this, Lord. And, Father, we just we can't get caught up in the judgment or the self-righteousness. That, Lord, we understand those are clear things that want to undermine our righteousness and get us off course and get us into some trees, Lord. So, Father, today I pray that we have a spirit of humility to come into this place and this space and walk and live a life that says, you know what? We're here to be corrected by the Holy Spirit to get us in alignment with your righteousness, God, that we may be holy and set apart in a generation. That, Father, is not pointing to human ideas, that is pointing to a godly, righteous perspective of expectation on how humanity should live that honor him and meet his righteous expectation. Father, your word says the righteous shall live by faith, and the faith full shall live by righteousness. We say this and pray this in your name, and everybody says, amen and amen. Amen.